0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Stepping Out. Today, I interview the truly tantalising Tricity Vogue. What a great name! Yes, it is her stage name, but I now can't see her as anything else. I mainly know her as my ukulele teacher. However, there are many other strings to her instrument, and she is a self-proclaimed vixen of cheeky jazz. Time Out describes her shows as cabaret to run down side streets for and her website says her shows are charming, offbeat musical cabaret from a vintage songstress with a repertoire of surprising tunes and a colourful history of romantic misadventure. She has had hit Edinburgh Fringe shows from 2010 to 2014 and a host of London cabaret productions under her belt. She has been nominated for a load of awards and was a real fixture on the London scene, performing her solo show, Calamitous Liaisons, and songs for swinging ukuleles with albums of the same name. As well as performing, she also teaches ukulele lessons, one of those luckily to me, and if you're lucky enough to book her, she'll provide musical entertainment at private events, either solo or with her all-girls swing band. I would like to add to all of that, she is an all-round super lovely and intriguingly interesting person with many, many stories to share. The no-show side of Tricity sees her living in the Leicestershire countryside with her husband and new puppy, Lulu, where she takes advantage of the many walks it has to offer. So go for a walk yourself, take some time for you and listen to the fascinating tales of Trisity Vogue, her showgirl life and her love of nature, exercising her body and mind in the countryside and enjoying the quirks of life. Welcome to Stepping Out, Trisity. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's really cold, isn't it? So how are you up there (laughs) in your lovely little cottage? Yeah,
1: it's been a miserable day. It's rained, it's still raining. Um, but, uh, we lit the log burning stove in the kitchen, which Ooh, has cheered okay. us up. And, uh, I've got a sleeping puppy on the sofa behind oh, me. Oh, is
0: this the lovely Lulu?
1: Lovely Lulu. Um, and then out of the window, I can see festoon lights around the marquee, which covers our vintage caravan, whose name oh. is Yvonne. Wow. Uh, and she, I mean, we, we actually went on honeymoon in Yvonne, um, but she hasn't been anywhere for a year. But uh, over, the last, over the weekend, we've actually been staying in her because my dad's been staying for my birthday. Oh, so right. uh,
0: Oh, because it was your birthday as well. Yeah. You had a big one. Was it 21? <laughs> thank you.
1: Thank you. No, it was, it was the big five zero, And I think it's actually quite important to come out as a 50-year-old because why should we buy into this nonsense about uh, it being a bad thing for women to be old? Uh, i know he's 50
0: old in a man no it isn't so and i'm there in a minute so i'm with you and i don't understand why people say oh oh yeah um i won't tell you which one it is i <laughs> think i could probably guess <laughs> yeah and then get really offended when you go is it your 60th yeah <laughs> exactly what is the point so congratulations that's brilliant Thank and you. how did
1: you name her yvonne well actually that's the name on the ca- on the back of the caravan it's, Oh right. she's dutch this is mostard yvonne and so Yvonne must be the name of the... And you keep lights around there all the time? Well, we, we have it on a timer. At, so at night, the festoon lights come on, uh, which yeah. means that we've got lights in the car park because we live in a tiny village with no street lights. So right, you are in the middle so of the go night. go out right to the car park in the middle of the night and you're sort of banging into things and stepping on, I don't know, squirrels or, you know, <laughs> whatever. Field mice. Yeah, following the sound of the tawny owl across the yard and when you have a dog as well and how old is she because she's fairly new isn't she yeah so she was born on the first of august so mm. she's not not she's coming up for six months just just
0: under sort of five oh, and, and a half months so she's asleep now but if she should wake we might have a chat with her as well
1: well absolutely she's she, she she's very talkative um she's very expressive actually she when she's happy she sounds like a wookie
2: <laughs>
0: great impression is that her or you <laughs> that was awesome
1: yeah well we both make the same same noises that's that just that's her sort of tug of
0: war blissed out noise um, yeah, yeah yeah and what what type what make is she <laughs> we call we call her a spanker poo oh right you've not heard of that one before uh, but... which
1: is a made-up name my brother came up with that actually i thought it was very good because her mum is a cockapoo Mm-hmm. And her dad is a working cocker spaniel. Oh, oh lovely! Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, very nice. So you're near, I think. You're near Melton Mowbray, right? We yeah, are. That's right. Home of the pork pie. Uh, yeah, and a bit of Stilton, moron. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. lovely! Absolutely. Yeah, our favourite thing. So you really are quite. So I was looking on the map where you live, and and there's just nothing around you except for green.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's some fields, uh, little copses, uh, lots of, we, 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 we do tend to use the Ordnance survey Map to invent walks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and also our neighbours sometimes tip us off about interesting walks as yeah. well. Um, and as we get to know neighbours who are the farmers in various fields, then we feel a little bit bolder about going off the beaten track and walking
0: around their fields. Yeah. Instead of just sticking to the designated paths and stuff. So oh, uh, we're gonna talk all about walking later. Mm. I can't wait. But what I want to talk to you about first is your other part of your life, um, which is your your entertainer side. Because I I met you about four years ago, I think it was that, who knows, it could be more. I, I can't keep up with time. Um and somebody brought me a ukulele lesson as a birthday present. And I turned up to this old pub in London somewhere, I can't even remember where it was.
1: Oh yes, it would have been in
0: uh, fashionable um, Shoreditch. Yes, yes, that's it. That's exactly where it was. I don't remember exactly what it was. I just remember this pub being amazing. And then you appeared with a load of colourful ukuleles with stickers on. And then I remember thinking then, this lady is obviously a real character, but how on earth did she get to do this so the first thing i want to ask you and i've been wanting to ask you this for ages is what was your musical journey into playing the uke and and did any other instrument come before that or was it something that you took up as a hobby and that was that
1: well yeah i mean it was a very convoluted my musical journey was a very convoluted and unintentional one in lots of ways uh um i became a singer by accident and then 20 years later i became a ukulele player by accident really um uh so i was really into jazz um and in my early 20s i went to sri lanka after university to mm-hmm. go and work and uh i was invited along to karaoke bar by a bunch of uh, my, me and my flatmate by a bunch of high society uh, sri lankan uh, party kids and um, we and and I got up and did like a virgin on the karaoke, <laughs> and um, which Why not? I mean that's a karaoke. We're song, talking isn't it? about um, yeah. This yeah. was ninety uh, two, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and um, and there was one guy. There was one guy there who'd just come back from the Tisch School of Music in New York, where he'd been doing an MA, and he said, "Oh, look, there's a piano in the lobby of the hotel. Should we go and knock out a few tunes?" Uh, so all the rest of the party went down to the nightclub with complete with its fiberglass stalactites and all sorts of unbelievable decor. And um and we stayed in this echoing vast marble lobby. With him playing tunes on the piano and me singing whatever we could think of that we both knew. Wow. Um, and this uh, very glamorous, groomed, shranken lady young woman came up and said, I'm uh, promoting a new jazz night at the uh, Hilton's nightclub, the Blue Elephant. I uh, uh, wondered if you'd both perhaps be interested in coming along doing a number at the opening night. And oh, it's on the 10th of January. And I said, Well, that's my birthday. So I had my first gig on my 22nd birthday in Sri Lanka in a nightclub and they gave me one amazing chocolate mousse cake with my name on it, I remember. That's how my jazz career began Um, and then I spent a lot of time singing with various different uh, groups and accompanists and str- always struggling to put bands together, desperately mm. trying to find people to play for me to sing, which is the, every singer's, you know, kind of singers get the gigs, but mm. they, they, you know, they need the musicians and the musicians always have them over a barrel, you know, kind of. Mm. Um, uh, and, then, and then what happened was I, 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 when I moved to London, I created the character of Tricity Rogue, which is something that I've been mulling over for a few years. Um, because I loved all the old jazz tunes. It comes out of the, My Love of Jazz and the old jazz standards and mm. I love the kind of character of this kind of glamorous but heartbroken um uh woman that often appears in these old songs like the sort of the sophisticated sophisticated lady, um, you know, sort of drowning yeah. her sorrows at the bar in an incredible gown, that sort yeah. of idea.
0: With a cigarette and a cigarette holder kind of thing.
1: Exactly, exactly, yes. It's sort of looking like a kind of sort of art deco figurine. Mm,
0: very uh, demure.
1: But full of pain and heartache. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I decided that that was the character that I wanted to create for Tricity Vogue. <laughs> but then what happened with her was entirely, you know, went off in an entirely different direction. Um, and then, so the first band I had was called the Tricity Vogue Sextet. Um, even though it was a five-piece uh, uh, and we did a mixture of we, some of my original songs and uh, sort of pastiche jazz standards which at the time I I couldn't write with chords because I didn't have a instrument I was a singer yeah. um, and then one day um, and the band got bigger and bigger and another friend joined as a sort of singing partner and we did lots of close harmony stuff and had matching costumes and did dance routines and had a great time doing that and then, um, and she was called Honey Mink. Uh, so Tricity Vogue was a fridge, and Honey Mink was a cooker. <laughs> 60s,
0: brilliant. Sixties kitchen appliances. <laughs> I was going to ask because, first time I heard your name, all I could think of was Tricity Bendix.
2: Well, absolutely. There's a,
1: there's a drag queen called Tricity Bendix. It will not surprise you to Um But yeah, no, Tricity Vogue was the name of my best friend's childhood fridge, and he was saving it up to be his drag queen name when he grew up. But he. Decided at about twenty-one or so that he was. Well, I think it was probably about twenty-three or twenty-four by the time he decided that he was going to be an architect rather than a drag queen. And I could have it.
2: And oh, again. brilliant! So
1: it's passed on to you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my dad was absolutely mortified because he used to be a draftsman for Belling, and Belling and Tricity were arch rivals. <laughs> so, right. Oh God!
0: Yeah, but Belling doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it?
1: No, it's not really. The but, um, yeah, so that's that's how the name came about. And, um... Fantastic.
0: Because the uke as well is, is often sort of seen as quite a sort of simple instrument to play. Well, it must be because I can play it a little bit. But um, to sing and play sometimes really uh in really complex ways and in really hard to play chords and things like that. Must have taken quite a while to learn and entertain people. You had you you know you had the character and everything else. But at what point did you decide to kind of move into cabaret? At what point the ukulele came along? I mean I'd moved into cabaret before the ukulele
1: came along but I was doing this kind of very these very louche band sets with 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 the musical accompaniment on piano or, or guitar. Um, and, but then uh, then uh, there was a club called Volupte, which opened in Hoburn, which is sadly now no longer there, which was a and cabaret club. Uh, and uh, my friend found it and said, this is the place you need to bring your Tristy Vogue character, because I was doing it in, in very incongruous pubs and things like this, where it was like, no, we need the right setting for this um so I had all these amazing elaborate gowns back then I had a proper job and I could afford to like really splash out and I had a friend who was a, a drag queen turned couturier who made me all these amazing gowns oh, yeah. uh, really over the top dresses
0: which I still got but I can't actually get into <laughs> and a bit too much for a village hall so you definitely needed some kind of anything. well
1: I think that was the point really it was that that was kind of the joke you know sort of being overdressed for the setting, was kind of part fun, um, but then um, yeah. So this then what happened one day was, uh, there was a there was a, a show called the Cheese and Crackers Cabaret on Battersea Barge, and uh, uh, I got offered a slot, and neither the uh, my pianist friend or my guitarist friend were available to come and play. Uh, my friend Lana, who who was playing Honey Mink, uh, had a car boot full of ukuleles because her day job was teaching, well, is, is running children's music groups, ah. sort of so like a baby, yeah, you know, kind of baby
0: music groups. Yeah, yeah, because kids do, do often learn the ukulele, that's one of the yeah. first things they
1: pick up, isn't it? And she, so she had this car boot of ukuleles and she just said, well, we'll do it on ukulele and say the band has stood us up because because i'd written a, a, sh- a song called the big band blues about being dumped by my band which was one of the songs which had sort of set the kind of the tricity vogue kind of story you know the fictional story around it that and i, I first time I ever performed as tricity vogue i sang it a cappella, and uh because i said i haven't got a band because they've all stood me up and <laughs> the story uh so then we so it worked really naturally. so then basically I was taught C, F, and G seven by uh, my uh, singing partner and by the pianist Rosa in the band. So that was me, and we we played it together. And I and then there was a kazoo break in the middle, which Ilana took. And uh, yeah, and that was that that was my debut. And then ironically, people were really. I've been writing all these original songs and doing them with the band in a very sort of louche lounge jazz style. And all these mus- musicians that were there, to sort of like the band, just kept seeming to get bigger and bigger, um, meant that nobody really noticed the lyrics particularly. Mm. You know, it was just like a big, lovely, lush experience. Yeah. Um, and then what happened when it was just just a voice and just a tiny little ukulele was that, that the song I could put the songs across. And also, when I started off, um, the comedy value was that I had this very polished jazz voice and this very fabulous gown and I, I was playing absolutely appallingly on the ukulele because I didn't know you know I was just really rudimentary <laughs> <laughs> and then um, there's that you know that I remember the drummer in the band sort of making a, the joke that um, there's an episode of Father Ted when he enters the Eurovision and he, he, he's trying to change chord and it takes him about three minutes <laughs>
2: It was just kind of
1: like this, they were all waiting for me to reach the (laughs) net. That sounds a little bit like me sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I had played guitar as a teenager. Yeah. I was a bedroom guitarist. Yeah, yeah. But I hadn't ever played guitar as a jazz. You know, once I moved into jazz, I, I sort of was only a vocalist. But, well, I mean, what I found, I mean, you were saying, oh, it's so hard to sing and play at the same time. But for me, the ukulele was a massive liberation, mm. and a huge liberation, rather than an additional difficulty. It was mm. absolutely the opposite of that because it was... Um,
0: uh, you meant that I didn't I wasn't always beholden to these other instruments these other mm. musicians yeah because you can really express yourself on the ukulele can't you like you say you know with the jazz but you can you can change things so much as you're playing them in different ways I find and and so for you singing different songs in different ways that must have been brilliant to have that as an accompaniment oh
1: well it meant as a singer-songwriter that I was able to really, really focus on the lyrics and really, you know, that the, the music didn't get in the way of that. Mm. And, and also suddenly as a cabaret performer, it really, it basically, it, everything skyrocketed as soon as I ditched the band because what I had then was vulnerability. Mm. Uh, because I had this narrative about being dumped by my band and being forced to provide my own accompaniment on this tiny little instrument whilst wearing this really over-the-top kind of full-on jazz ball
0: gown and, you know, kind of... That's exactly what I was going to ask you, because...
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, you've got all that going on, because, like, obviously, because someone described your shows as a cocktail of comedy, music and madness, which... Well, frankly, that describes my home schooling experience at the moment. But (laughs) (laughs) I mean, where do you start with putting a story together for the shows? Because there's quite a lot of audience participation. You're standing there in your ball gown with your ukulele. You know, I mean, I can imagine it being a sort of bit of an organic process with with all of that going on. How how do you even start with all of that? That's just fascinating. Well,
1: I mean, I mean, the, the whole delight about doing Cabaret was that it was a liberation from the very kind of restrictive creative processes that i had been involved in in my career in television where you are part of a, a tiny cog in a huge wheel and you, you you know it's everything's like somebody's always over your shoulder going like oh is that good enough is that cool enough yeah you know oh i don't know it might be cheesy <gasps> you know especially working in youth tv it was like oh my god it's not cool enough panic 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 <laughs> And, and like and stressing about you know kind of will it get past the next tier of executives and blah 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 and what are the rating or you no know, it was like oh look I'm just going to go and, and hang out in an underground nightclub and mess about do what I like and stop worrying about it and just just be free
0: be free make things up on the spot yeah because you have so many like innuendos in your lyrics and things like that and like cheeky yeah. comedy and so that must have just kind of grown out of what you wanted to do that creative process must have been
1: yeah. Well, you see, I started off wanting to write like loving all these kind of really serious and heartbreak and kind of mournful jazz ballads, and then sudden somehow ended up writing filth. I'm not quite <laughs>
2: sure
0: how that happened. Really. And I must say, I have put the links on this episode description. But if you listen to some of Tristie's work, it is just brilliant. Like how you, do you know, it reminds me a little bit. And and I, I I'm sure you'll be okay with me saying this. Victoria would type. you know she's amazing wasn't she huge
1: compliment yeah well I mean I've come to a real kind of uh, what's the word a kind of a real um a a new threshold I suppose in or a new kind of what do they call it a watershed I believe because um and it kind of crystallized for me talking to a cabaret colleague the other day because basically everybody has their shtick and my shtick was always my disastrous love life and I think really possibly the show that most perfectly kind of kind of was the kind of culmination of that journey with the show that i did called calamitous liaisons yes which is an edinburgh fringe show um and but then i met james and uh i was no longer telling the truth right uh when i talked about my disastrous love life and effectively that was kind of the beginning and the end of of that sort of Tristy vogue narrative mm. you couldn't feel clam- it anymore well, I mean, you know, I wasn't, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't my true you because know, the line between performer and 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 kind of persona and person is often quite porous. Yeah. Um and and a lot of people can do shit and play a character, but I'm not an actress really. I'm or not an actor. I'm not I mean, I do a bits and bobs of it, but I'm not, you know, that's not what being a cabaret performer is about. For me it's much more about you know being an emo, you know, kind of being there and being emotionally connected, yeah, reflecting what you are in the show, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And even though you're dressed up to the nines and you're presenting a really extravagant persona, that persona, in a way, is counterbalanced with an emotional truth, so there's truth and, and fakery. both have to be so yeah I suppose I'm now in a point where I'm like I'm not really bothered yeah about putting on the false eyelashes and the ball gowns and complaining about my disastrous love life anymore because I'd much rather be you know in the wellies
0: you do um some really good zoom cabarets you've done over lockdown with with various people and and you dress up for that on zoom so you've got like a very very short um sleek bobbed wig with your Fake mm. eyelashes and and, oh, yeah. and makeup and everything else. So so that's obviously like a bit of an alter ego, Tricity Vogue. Um, mm. But now you're you've sort of moved into the country and all this sort of thing. But do you still quite like donning that gear every now and again to bring her back? You know, I think I think it's.
1: Um, I mean, everybody's saying this about lockdown as well that it's good to to dress up sometimes even though you don't feel like it Mm. you know because you're like what's the point it does give you a lift and i I mean i know this i mean i'm sure anyone who's ever sort of felt like depressed or or done you know kind of sadness or whatever and Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's your duties that that pull you through and for me the ukulele cabaret is a duty because i've been doing it for 13 years and it has a community around it um and it it feels
0: like something that needs to keep going. Yeah, and what I love about it, it's so creative, and everybody's so like you say, everybody's friendly, and there's that real camaraderie in there. So it's just fab. So for me, it actually, um, it will
1: sound hilarious to say this, but like getting dressed up to the nines is a duty. <laughs> I feel like I, you know, I feel like I'm sort of going out into, you know, this is me putting on my wall paint quite (laughs) I must do this, I have duty to serve entertainment and, you know.
0: Because I saw, I saw, tell me about this, because I really have to ask you about this, because obviously you've honed your look for that, but I remember um, I saw a video of you in a cabaret club and it was set to a commentary of you interviewing yourself and you were having your hair cut on stage and you asked yourself why you were doing it and yourself said because oh no one of one of yourself said, Do you want to look like a boy? And you said, Yes I do. So you have gotta tell me about that.
1: Oh yeah. So um this is a, a a lovely film called Cut Two uh was made out of this. Um um and it was basically um I was actually it started off as a very trivial thing um in the sense that I I was after, you know, kind of the year after Calamitous Liaisons, I was thinking about looking at my next year's Edinburgh Fringe show because I was an addict and it was like, you you can't stop yourself going back again and again. It takes over your whole year and, you know, you have (laughs) no. It's an obsession and it's exhausting. But um, and I was going to do songs for swinging ukuleles and then I was like, well, you know, why don't I dress up like Frank Sinatra? And then it was like, well, why don't I get a suit done? And then it was like, well, why don't I have the haircut like mm. Frank Sinatra? And, and, and out of that kind of whimsy of kind of just a very kind of super, almost a sort of superficial costume idea, something much more profound came out of it, which was this whole notion that, you know, that the extreme femininity was a kind of a drag, you know, a drag in two senses. Mm. In the tedious, and also it was performative, but it wasn't necessarily. You know, it was me putting on a fake face, almost. You know, it's kind of, and um, and actually, which is which is fine, and which is why I kind of go back to the the Bob Wig, because it's kind of like that's the drag, you know, for Tris. That's Tricity's drag. Mm.
2: You
1: know, but um, yeah, um, I did that next show and basically I in order to, I decided to do this kind of transformation as a performance piece uh, at a night called Under Construction at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern and I had a friend who was the kind of hairdresser to the stars called Yaya who was mates with all the mm. Uh and uh, I asked her if she'd cut my hair on stage and she was up for it. Uh, so yeah, so I just sort of prepared this kind of voiceover to be played during the piece and then during the interval we arranged it so that I was at the end of the first act and then she would carry on cutting my hair through the interval of of the cabaret night Uh, and everyone could kind of watch with a soundtrack of various different songs like put together and then we kind of could watch my hair being cut Uh, and then Ben Walters who was the cabaret editor of Time Out and has now got a PhD in queer performance and used to also run a a um a, a film a kind of uh, a um of cabaret film um night as well basically he he made and edited this film um based on and i went home after the show and kind of talked into my computer about how it felt and kinda of that sort of thing so uh yes yeah, so that that it was it was a very interesting it was a very interesting thing because i think the whole thing about uh, gender and hair it's mm. very, very interesting. Because it was so long
0: as well, and you looked It was insanely long. It was. it was. It was long through neglect, not <laughs> intention. Yeah, because you said I didn't realise how long it had got. No, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's long through lack of interest, really. I mean, and, and I, I'm losing a... I used to spend a fortune on my hair. I used to spend, like, you know, get really nice haircuts, and I had a very sharp, lovely bob and spend a lot of time, you know, with the hairdryer, getting it just so... And then I kind of, I don't know, I kind of got, you know, sort of it became more and more of a chore and I sort of lost interest in that. And I think interestingly for me, the journey about around sort of grooming has sort of, as as my stage persona got more extremely groomed,
2: Mm.
1: I became less interested in grooming the rest of the time. Yeah, because that's what (laughs) you were
2: focusing on the whole
1: time. And also, there's also the sense, and I don't know if a lot of performers experience this, where the on on stage is real life, and the rest of the time is is
0: in between, mm.
1: which I don't think is very healthy, actually.
0: Yeah, and, you, and you, I suppose you want to just make it completely the opposite. You know, if you're that's yeah. your because I <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but if I've got something, a t shirt that's um has the name of my studio or, or whatever, if I leave that on after I've done a session. I, I, I hate it I can't even though I love what I do I don't like it when I'm walking around in my work clothes even though it's the most comfortable thing ever I like to just sort of change back into whatever so yeah I completely well, get that because with work and I'm
1: so I'm sure the surprise to what you do as well as as what I do that there's a vigilance when you're fronting a show and you're you you you're on fully on mm-hmm. like really focusing on what's going on in the room and what particularly with cabaret over other sorts of of performance you know you're really because it's really about rapport and, and engagement and a conversation with what's with the room mm-hmm. you know you're kind of on it and yeah. you're really kind of watching and you're really kind of you know just you know making sure that no you no know, one's fallen off the train as it were <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs> yeah. That. yeah I mean many yeah. a time just before I've left the house there's been stuff kicking off you know someone's done this there's bits of toast stuck to your hair whatever and you look in the mirror and just go right show time that's it you, you can't deviate that's it you're on and, and I think
1: that. I mean it's very interesting my journey with performance is I think it's been about 15 years that I've been a predominantly a performing artist as my number one thing Um, And I had lots of issues with attention, with not paying attention properly. Mm, mm. Like particularly when people were talking to me and I just drift off in a little daydream and be thinking (laughs) about something else, which apparently I still do from time to time.
0: That's your creative (laughs) mind, you see. You're always (laughs) thinking about other things.
1: But I mean, it's the thing is, I think the thing with performance is you have to absolutely be present.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and this wonderful drag queen, Stefan St. James, who I mentioned earlier, the sort of drag queen turned couturier who made my first gowns, but Stefan also gave me some of my earliest performance tips. And one that's really stuck with me was you can't expect the audience to give you their full attention unless you give them your full attention mm, that connection but, yeah absolutely you have to 100% be like I'm here for you I'm watch I'm I'm you know I'm all yours I'm watching you I'm giving you everything um and yeah and it is exhausting and you just want to you know I would be very reclusive you know the more performing I did the more utterly reclusive mm. I would be the oh rest
0: gosh I completely relate to that because it takes you so long to hone that and and like you say that's a lot of effort that's that's a job and when you're not doing it you you need that almost like insular time you need to go inside and reflect from Mm -hmm. the inside rather than just right project 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 and sometimes i mean you obviously you've probably had this same thought as well it can sometimes be just like talking to a brick wall that sounds horrible because obviously everybody's lovely that you're speaking to but you're not getting I mean probably with you you're getting more feedback because people are watching the show they're making noise and I know as I said your shows um invoke a lot a bit noisy. Of, yeah exactly <laughs> and they invoke a lot of audience participation as well which you invite so for you I expect that's really lovely to get that feedback right
1: yeah um I I haven't done a lot of cabaret in, you know I've kind of moved away from the kind of really raucous end of cabaret mm. um, partly because it's so exhausting it's a little bit like riding a galloping horse <laughs> like, kind of like a, um, but yeah and, and partly because I mean the, the, the raucousness is what I always loved about it and the kind of anarchy of it mm. um, and then I think as I've got older I'm I, I, I think partly it's to do with adrenaline as well is to do with the fact that i realized that i was making myself ill because i was using adrenaline much more often than you're supposed to it's meant to be for emergencies you know the fight or flight thing and it's not meant to be something that you call up like three times a week
0: so um, you feel quite stressed
1: in that well, mode, it's yeah. massive drain it's a massive drain the come down is like taking a drug and then having to come down afterwards. And well it is because adrenaline is a drug yeah, and yeah. I don't think there's been an enormous amount of work that I have found yet. And I'd be very interested to see if there was any about ad- the effects of adrenaline. Uh, I did have uh, one uh, medic once said something about, basically it is if you, if you're drawing on your adrenaline too often it is going to shorten your life because this is not you know you're basically on kind of attack mode all the time. yeah exactly yeah. and
0: I mean you know I think when there's obviously some more healthy uh, ways to get that and but if you're in a, in, a, in a situation where you're being watched you're you know you're on show you're really thinking about every single tiny little move you do that yeah it can't be too healthy very often can it no and also
1: when you're kind of giving the energy to a performance which comes out of a you know a kind of emotional energy and sometimes particularly in music you you get in the zone and you're kind of giving it everything and it's not necessarily you're not holding back any reserves you know to get to get you to the bus stop home afterwards yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I mean many yeah
0: exactly that I, i many a time I've got off the bike in in the class and I've been so full of adrenaline that I can barely speak or put a sentence together (laughs) someone's asking me something I was like oh I'm just totally you know out there on some crazy trip somewhere but which is nice but but I think it's quite nice as well um I get that when I'm walking so let's talk about walking shall we oh wow yeah we do that because I'm sure you do as well and you mentioned that you you obviously used to live in London but then you moved to Leicestershire with your husband James who's a photographer that's right and also that you used to do some sort of long treks and mountain climbs and things like that but obviously you've got Lulu so you have to kind of temper that down a little bit what um tell me about the the sort of different walking that you've done in the past and obviously that you plan to do in the future um where you live now because it sounds lovely up there
1: yeah well I mean for me it started very much as an urban thing you know the kind of walking was was a sort of you know kind of part of city life Mm -hmm. or you know kind of exploring you know kind of the city Um, but um, I first got interested in in kind of heavy-duty the sort of walking that you wear the proper clothing for Um, while I was still in the throes of the kind of at the very thick of my kind of cabaret life uh, um, before it, it before I started to kind of gently gently wind down a little bit there i was absolutely like absolute kind of you know gigs like every other day you know yeah, kind of um, out. Um, um and i i didn't have any of the gear um so one of my oldest friends ed who lives in edinburgh he's the guy that gave me the name tricity vogue right. um he has become very he's become very very into walking in the highlands he lives in edinburgh and he, he will kind of rent a car and go out and walk up a mountain and this that and the other yeah. um, and we have this tradition every year where we we have a, a kind of annual general meeting we go away for a weekend and see each other yeah in, we obviously can't do it this year it's always in january uh, yeah um and one year we he suggested we go for a walk in the west highlands and i didn't have any gear i i think i had a very old pair of walking boots that i'd bought back from when i worked in tv as a runner and it was like you know that's what you wore i I'd got some kind of those sort of trainer walking boot hybrid things yeah um that would go with my kind of runner outfit you know um and then i but i had just i just had this long leather coat that, that vintage 70s leather um, trench coat. I mean, I looked like Trinity,
2: <laughs> like a
1: scene from The Matrix. It's like, you well, know, we're just programmes at the Highlands. And we're like, oh, okay. I'm...
0: Doctor Who or something. I just need a long scarf to go with it. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, this was the most weatherproof item of clothing I've had for many years. This is my kind of London staple. It went with me to the circus in France as well. And I mean, it's sort of waterproof, it's sort of water resistant, but it's not very waterproof. Um, and also, very long. I think I fell over in the mud within about five minutes of setting off on this walk. And we also got lost right at the beginning of it. So it That's was really fun. Diving through all this undergrowth, trying to find this really scary rocks, and I remember the first thing being very, very, very scared that I was going to fall over and crack my head open on all these rocks. I was thinking, how can people just chill out and look at the view when the terrain it is so terrifying? There's stuff to be scrambled up, yeah. Because I still, I'd kind of fallen once, and like, <laughs> and I was like, I might fall over and crack my head open and die at any moment, and I was just. Yeah, I was quite happy to kind of dive across the road in the middle of London or... But this is sort of like...
2: On another level.
1: <laughs> this is just a completely new set of, you know, hazards for me. And um, it was just the exhaustion of it, I remember. It's just like on and on and on. And, of course, it was raining. Was in Scotland? Of course. And like, oh, God. And then, and then just the... Um, immense, utter beauty. We got to the top of this endless climb and we were at a dam. We're like Somebody came up here and built a dam. I mean, that's absolutely insane. And we can, you can walk along the top of the dam and then walk all the way back along the top of the sort of water-carrying um, uh, kind of channel that takes it down to the hydroelectric plant. It's a sort of path about five metres wide, if that perhaps three meters wide, just with no walls on either side, you know, you're just walking and it was just extraordinary. And I was just like, this is the the kind of beauty that also being in it. It's not like looking at, looking at it, you know, you're in it, you're doing, you're doing the beauty. You're not just seeing it. And there was something about the climbing and the exhaustion and the, the fatigue and the challenge that made it beautiful. In a way that you know, if you just kind of helicoptered in, you wouldn't have experienced. And because of that fatigue, you looking at the, the the green of the moss and going, "That's the most insane thing I've ever seen." And it, it was always going to be insanely green, but you'd have been like, "Oh yeah, that's quite bright, isn't it?" You know, but, but because you've been on this massive, exhausting journey to get there, we're like, it's almost like the kind of a pot of gold at the end of the rain yeah wasn't in it? technicolor <laughs> kind of thing yeah. yeah am i seeing things in technicolor because i've gone through this intense emotion you know intense experience to get here um but yeah and that's so that first big kind of highland hike was the kind of kind of got got me hooked i think in a way
0: because it happens so quickly doesn't it I mean obviously walking in anywhere is amazing and obviously you did a lot of walking in London and that's a whole different kettle of fish but once you you're out in the countryside and in nature I just think so many people have said to me oh I, I did this walk and then that was it I, I'm just hooked on it now and, and it's incredible to think that lots of people don't do that and they never get to that point and it just takes the one time sometimes to get into it.
1: But also, I think up until then, you know, how hard it was or tiring has always been too off-putting,
0: you Mm. know.
1: And and the other big discovery, of course, is the next time we did a walk the following year, I think we went to Northumbria and walked on the coast. And I actually went to Decathlon and bought a proper walking, waterproof walking (laughs) jacket and some waterproof trousers I think I I borrowed them off a friend I think or something I was like my word if you're actually wearing the proper gear it goes from being torture to being you know totally bearable fancy that I was so resistant to it for so long because it's like that's not stylish it's like you're up I mean it's really think a bit now I I think about how the how my point of view is transformed Mm. and it's because I mean I can't be seen in this it's like who is there to see you that's
0: right and actually it becomes a bit of a hobby I mean I'm I love buying this technical wear and stuff as I've mentioned before on this but you know it's like oh oh I quite like that oh that's that's really nice and actually is really stylish these days compared to what it used to be like years ago absolutely
1: but yeah I mean and now my point of view has changed to the point of view where I'm like most of the time I'm not bothered what I look like <laughs> um but yeah so uh I think that's a that's that's a very uh, interesting trans change of perspective. For, I think it's a shift from almost from a sort of thinking about being looked at hmm. to looking. Yes. To prioritizing looking at rather than being looked at.
0: Yeah. So absorbing as opposed to you know pushing out. So being a Hoover rather than a radiator. If you, oh that brings oh. us back to the uh, the electrical items. <laughs> oh wow yeah 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 that's good yeah. because you where do you originally come from do you come is it lancashire you come from no no i well i i um victoria wood was lancashire but i was yorkshire oh you're together. yorkshire so um it's kind of in your dna a little bit is it
1: well i grew up in yorkshire we moved to yorkshire when i was five we right. moved, moved to leeds but i was actually i was actually born in uh in in, in chelmsford in essex matching essex girl really um, but my mum is actually from Derby, so I've actually moved to a part of the world very near where my mum comes from, right. weirdly. Um, my dad's a Londoner, um, and he just got a job in Leeds when I was five and my brother was uh, two and a half, right. and went, right, we're all moving up north. We were in um, uh, Colchester at the time, and, uh, and I went to school and got picked on the first day for sounding posh. <laughs> And developed a northern accent on the second day. I
0: um, bet. Which you still got a little bit of.
1: Oh, yeah. But it comes and goes. What happened was I developed the ability, or a kind of weird instinctive thing to alter my accent according to who I was talking to. It's not even conscious. But it does, James finds it quite embarrassing because because I lived in Sri Lanka for a couple of years as well. I, I, I ended up picking up a Sri Lankan accent while Did I was you? living there. And he finds it really embarrassing because if I'm talking to a, like, like a taxi driver who's in Asian or Indian or something, I will automatically start talking. You give it a go. And, but I don't even know I'm doing it. And he's just like, oh, oh, do you sound like you're taking the
2: piss? stop it? Oh. oh, how funny.
0: I have to say, I think I'm a little bit like that. I don't know about to that extent. I'm not sure if I've done that. But, yeah, I tend to kind of mesh in with whoever I'm talking to
1: i think it's a very interesting trajectory that i ended up in in you know doing some performance not ended up because i'm not at the end of my journey no, of yet. course not but did 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 sort of move into performance because there was that performative kind of it you know that that was a very performative thing at the age of five to to to, to sort of put on this new persona in order you know, to, to, to sort of fit in and not be picked on. Exactly.
0: Like and and so when you when you moved up to Yorkshire, then did you kind of go out and experience the outdoors there? And were you walking as a child? Was it you know?
2: How did that? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, in fact, I just had a lovely nostalgia trip. and um, that's one of the good things about dogs, sort of giving you the reason to go out. and We just revisited um the, the disused golf course across the road from our childhood home, uh, which we used to call the bumps. Right. Because of the uh, cra- you know, because of the bunkers.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, um,
1: and uh, where we used to play and it's this perfect sort of child size little mini wilderness mm. with little you know, trees and a little a little stream going through it. Secret trees and then my my climbing tree was still there that I used to, I used to climb trees, I was very fearless as a child. I also did that thing that I think is quite common in, 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 in sort of I think it's in Simone de Beauvoirs, the um Uh, The second section talks about uh, young girls or as girls transition into womanhood becoming very fascinated with nature in a kind of romantic kind of way. And I used to go wandering alone in the woods kind of sit by the stream and contemplate nature and I remember one of my mum's friends going, you do what does your mum let you and I was like what do you mean i to like, know. oblivious <laughs> to the danger that a teenage girl might be in wandering around on her own in the woods you know but
0: I think it was it was back in the day it wasn't like it didn't matter there because I remember going out all day and nobody really knew where I was
1: I mean I was in Yorkshire. I was in Leeds with the Yorkshire Ripper running around so yes, you know of course certain amount of risk involved
2: absolutely
1: Although i don't think he was interested in anyone as young as me but, uh, but... No, the time, there we are but yeah so there was that and yes my, my my um my dad's passion is for um history and stately homes and oh. national trust properties mm-hmm. and he's also from a family of gardeners avid gardeners as well he's a, he's a very keen gardener mm-hmm. so houses and gardens and country parks and capability brown and you know all that kind of stuff was very much a part of that was the kind of thing we would do at the weekends rather and also we we always went on holiday to a different part of england like we did lots of holidays in wales and scotland and the Lake district and so there was lots of looking at different scenery and kind of uh yeah so my education was kind of very much in you know there was a sort of education in the kind of the countryside and and uh, of, of, Eng- of of england scotland wales and we did ireland once as well um, um but yeah so which is where our sort of family roots are which, which seem to mostly consist of looking around graveyards for stones with the family surname on
2: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so uh, but yeah i don't i don't suppose as a child you necessarily develop your own connection with these things mm. but when you later on you can come back to those kind of childhood experiences and realize
0: how yeah when it's been part of your life at some point even if as a Mm. well apart from us who wandered off as teenagers um you know that rebellious side kicks in you go to school or whatever you do and then later on you tend to come back and i think appreciate it more but you can reconnect because i remember uh especially last year during the lockdown you know watching all the sort of nature develop as the days went by um you you sort of resurrect what you remember as a child just looking because i think as children we do sort of look at a flower and, uh, mm. and, and and you know have time for that whereas when you're older you don't tend to do that as much and then so last year was it was particularly good for that but it's lovely mm. to reconnect to nature isn't it at what any any age uh, mm you're at really so it's all good it's all good um you've also mentioned to me some some inspirational walking books i'm really always interested in these because i think they unfold into not only a story but also they bring in that nature element as well so can you share those books with us and why you find them so inspiring
1: well yes i mean the first one was um um the, the the green london way um, and that was basically given to me when, again, I was kind of in the thick of my kind of cabaret uh, cabaret career um, because uh, there was an event, uh, an alternative Olympics, an alternative Olympic opening uh, run by uh, Philosophy Football, who are an organisation sort of inspired by philosophers who are keen on football um, I think it's Sartre that was a big football fan uh, um, uh, but also they, they're they very kind of, they're quite left-wing and they're quite kind of socialist and kind of quite often organise events with a sort of social agenda so they would put on an alternative Olympics opening uh, to kind of flag up the kind of other issues that were being swept under the carpet a little bit by the slightly celebratory kind of whitewashing going on for the main Olympic event Um, and one of those things was what was being done to the nature, what was being done to the land around the Olympic site and how it was being transformed and not necessarily for the better into a sort of fake, you know, natural site. In, and, you know, the nature of it being just real, genuine kind of treasures being sort of stamped out as a result. So they were building all these flats on these kind of wetlands and driving off all the kind of native birds and all that kind of thing. And and the guy who, who wrote The Green London Way, Bob Gilbert, basically the, the organiser of, of philosophy football, commissioned me to write a song, like an anthem for the... Um, for the opening, you know, for the Alternative Olympics of event and, and, and his idea was to put me together with Bob Gilbert and go for a walk and around the site and, and, and uh, you know, kind of and then inspired by that, go away and write this song and then perform it at the event, which I did. Um, but then Bob basically, as well as being a very inspirational kind of guide, gave me a copy of his book which has basically walks all the way around the bowl the london bowl sort of london being in a basin Mm. sitting at the bottom of the basin and this kind of kind of a lot of the time the kind of wealthy bits where you're out of the you know smog and the pollution being around the edge Um, so you can do a kind of and what he's done is he's kind of he's he's kind of um um research the social history of all these areas so it's like every single area walk you go on there'll be some common that there's been a battle over and like somebody's pulled the fences down that have been put up by, you know, Lord Fardifar or whatever it was. And <laughs> and, uh, and then there'll always be, you know, there's a, bit, a little bit of, you know, kind of a bit of nature watch. A little bit of, you know, here's here's a spot, you know, this this is the sort of plant life and bird yeah. life along the way. Um, so, it, it, and of course, that's very London, because even what's great about the walks that he's found is he's managed to find walks that almost completely avoid t- streets and roads and stuff. But even then, every piece of green has been so kind of battled for you know, for many, many hundreds of years quite often. And, you know, the, the reason it's there sometimes is because of an enormous fight to keep it.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: parks are kind of victorian sort of people's parks and some of them date much go back much further than that mm. and of so the, the the woods are kind of private woods that are part of a uh, like in in Dulwich, for example that are part of a kind of trust that's been left to preserve them and mm. you can sort of walk through them but and you know kind of so there's all this kind of it's very very interesting you kind of realize how embattled
0: oh completely Mm, there's there's a project at the moment. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, well, there's two actually. One is trying to protect the all of the ancient sort of walkways all around Great Britain. But there's another one that's sort of come out of the lockdown really, which is um, in conjunction with that. Or mm, they're not really working together, but they are if you know what I mean. And it's mm. um, it's called Slowways, and they're trying to connect network uh, every town and well settlement basically in the country together by some kind of route um oh oh, it's incredible so the guy i was watching something about it yesterday he's done the he's mapped the whole of great britain and he's mapped a line between all of the settlements and then he's mapped the actual route that you can walk to there at the moment and then he's filled it in between the straight line and the actual route and there's a massive deviation so what he's trying to do is to recruit um Loads and, loads and loads of people across the country it's a big project and I've, i'll put the the link into this as well mm-hmm. to get people to test all of those routes and to do like a review on them and share each one so that people can walk them and then this other guy is trying to protect those routes as well so hopefully between those two um those two organizations will get them all protected
1: mm. i mean it's very interesting because one of the biggest things that gets in the way is is nature itself of mm. course but but you, what you need is, particularly in the country, is is curators of these routes. Mm. And, what, I mean, one of the best ways to protect them is to keep walking them. Yeah. Um, but what tends to happen around here is that you set out on a path that you got through in like winter or spring and suddenly find yourself hacking your way through to... High. I know that
0: one. Yeah. It's <laughs> come across loads of just stinging nettles and things like that where you it says, yeah, there's a pathway through here, but there really isn't. Yeah, and the kind of neglect of it is a kind of almost
1: a kind of way of of clawing back your land from the yeah yeah absolutely intruders, interlopers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very. and That's one of the things in it that's covered in the other book that I'm. Um, I was mentioning Wanderlust: A History of Walking
0: by Rebecca Zorina. Ah, I have that on my list to read. So you have to tell me about that one. Yeah, it's
1: a slow read. It's it's dense. It's a very very dense book, and I'm kind of very gently chewing my way through it mm-hmm. a little bit. Time. But she covers um, the uh, the Ramblers, uh, you know, the kind of the massive battle that that, that, that was had by the sort of British, nor- largely northern, I think, working class kind of walkers, for the right of way to get the right to walk in the country, and what they what happened was amazing. It's a great story. Because um, I think it was out near Manchester. I can't remember the in in the Pennines. It might have been. I might have got that wrong. Um, I'm, I'm, but basically the essence of it is that 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 there was a, a a protest walk. Um, the idea that you know all these people that in the industrialisation meant there's lots of people kind of stuck in factories and they wanted to be able to walk out into the countryside at the weekend, and they weren't allowed because the countryside belonged to whoever whatever landowners whatever. um so they walked anyway and then there was a very heavy handed police response which had the which had the effect of of making the walkers into a kind of cause celeb and and then basically massively rousing support all over the country for this cause um you know the kind of you know the right to walk in the country, and which is why we have in the UK much more permissive um, rules, laws than the states where you, I mean you can't walk. And there's a really good podcast by the wonderful um, Malcolm Gladwell who has a series called Revisionist History. Yes, yeah. About walking, it's about the golf course in um, the golf course in LA, but. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a massive patch of green that no one's allowed on unless they can afford it, and all the <laughs> runners have to run around the outside of this big wire fence. Yeah. But he go, he does talk about this kind of, uh, um, you know, this kind of whole thing about land and ownership and the freedom to walk. And I mean, Scotland's even better because there you can go anywhere, and no one can stop you. Mm. Whereas, uh, as long as you behave yourself and don't trash, you know, don't leave any sign that you've yeah. been there. Literally walk across anybody's, you know, Madonna's estate or whatever. You know, you can <laughs> just get where you want. Um, whereas, of course, in in England, we have to stick to the paths. Mm. So, but we have at least the, the reason we have public footpaths across the countryside is because of the ramblers and because of this basically um, guerrilla walking that they did, this protest walking, protest hill walking that they did, and they went to prison for um you know they they were the martyrs that, mm. that bought the, the, the um that bought us the the, the the footpaths that we have and if we don't keep walking them then the, the entropy will set in and and they'll, they'll they'll disappear under patches of brambles
0: and 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 there we go yeah know. completely in fact interest and that's what that's what she talks about in the book It is. is there's a chapter on that. Yeah,
1: right, I mean, okay. it talks as, goes. It talks about pilgrimage, walking mm. as pilgrimage is one of the earliest. Uh, it talks about the 18th century and and, uh, and lots of lovely stuff about Jane Austen, who I'm a big fan of. But um, about how people started walking the garden, their gardens, but making their gardens look like nature. Right. And then what happened after that was then you had Wordsworth and his sister walking in the actual nature mm. which was extremely rebellious and unnew and, and because that was what poor people did right and they made it and they made it a middle class pursuit basically an, an aesthetic pursuit to walk in nature and until that point it had been like you walk you, you enjoy aesthetics in your garden which capability brown has sculpted to look just like nature
0: but you know you don't actually go out in actual nature. nature well it is it's interesting what you were talking about actually because i can't remember who it was and it was really recently and i was listening to this guy talking about he and someone else are trying to bring back um the ability to be able to walk where you want without kind of offending lord so-and-so
1: mm.
0: yeah well I mean. it could happen
1: i mean we've got if it's, if it's if it's if it happens in scotland i don't see why no, not. yeah not have parity i mean yeah, the problem is, of course, that then you know that there needs to be a mutual respect. I think. I mean, I mean, one of the things about lockdown is that a lot of farmers have
0: experienced a lot of damage to their fields from people who aren't used to walking in mm. the countryside. Do whatever we like, yeah, and it's kind of get off my land sort of thing. But it's yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because obviously we we've got such a lush, lovely land to walk in here. But um, one of the things that the Slow Ways guy was saying is that you know. Um, some of them are very difficult to navigate on a go- you know, you don't really know, there might be an arrow just pointing randomly in some direction and you don't really completely know which direction you're supposed to go in. So that's another part of of that. Mm. But really, it's I mean, it's just about getting out there, isn't it, really, and, and experimenting with these things. I
1: mean, that's the fun bit, really, isn't it? When mm. you kind of figure out, you know, kind of where, you know, which way it is and where you are. Yeah, a
0: bit like the Wizard of Oz, you know, which way are you trying to kind of go and so i love getting to the point as well where there's like three arrows or three paths and you can literally go whichever way you want and it's what is drawing you to that path which way do you want to go today you know yeah
1: i, I remember um uh once going uh, getting lost on a walk and uh my walking companion saying we're not lost we're just
0: exploring <laughs>
1: just having an adventure it's like okay yeah that's a you know and it is an
0: adventure isn't it so how, how does it make you feel then when you go out for a walk um well I think it's um
1: I think walking the body is is a very good way of unleashing the mind from various channels and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and sort of uh kind of one track processes that you might be in mm. or it's very very useful as as, as a writer. Uh, which is kind of my primary creative thing, although it's a sort of a bit more hidden than the performer side.
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. But but as a writer, walking is ex- immensely useful because it it, it it sort of unhooks all the the, the, the the business that you you're sitting at your desk and you're all about right, I'm focused, I'm doing my job now, and this is what I've got to do. Yeah. Whereas walking, you like it, it's it allows your brain to just compost all the stuff uh, and uh, you know just churn it around and I mean you can have great conversations when you're walking mm. it's often a great place to have quite profound conversation with with good friends mm. and, and so on and when you're alone it's it's very good for just letting things drift and 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 just appreciating you quite often you might be really focused on what's around you or you might just totally drift off
0: mm you can find some answers quite often
1: but yeah I think uh yeah um there's something in Rebecca Solnit's book about the science of of the fact that the body is designed to walk because of our very you know primitive origins it's like you know kind of walking out of the forest Mm. and becoming Homo erectus or whatever Mm. that you know that walking is is a is, is is inevitably good for the you know kind of and I think, oh, yes, I think it might have been on some podcast or something. Somebody was talking about how they were doing meetings walking.
0: Yes, very because popular. it just makes
1: the brain work better as well. Definitely. And, yeah, I, I mean, we genuinely always feel better after a walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, today's been a case in point because if we didn't have a dog, we probably wouldn't have gone out for a walk today. But because we have a dog, we've been out for two walks. in our our proper gear, in our waterproofs, in our our wellies. I mean, that's been another step up since moving to the country. It's not walking boots anymore now, it's wellies. Yeah. Because we're talking about mud. Yeah, Yeah.
0: lots of, especially at the moment.
1: Splashing through puddles is so fun. (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, crunching through the ice on top of puddles and to see how far you sink has been oh, the, wonderful day, how lovely. Uh, of
0: the last few days. Yeah, and it, and again that takes you back to being a child, doesn't it? Because it's not often that you get to do things like that, so it's all good.
1: But yeah, I feel better for having gone out today, even mm. though it was in the rain. And you know, just having kind of and you see like how interesting the light is, and you wouldn't necessarily notice that in you know if you hadn't gone out of the house and. Got into the thick of it, Um, and another thing that's very interesting, I think, about having a a shift that happens now we've got a dog is that you walk the same place again and again. You take walk the same walk, um, and you're on a much smaller scale. But when they're little, you know, but you then you see the same terrain in all different, you know, in the frost and you see you see it in the mist where you can't see ahead and then you see it on bright clear days where the sky seems enormous and and you and you'll see the kind of we saw a a huge heron take off just in front of us oh isn't that
0: amazing when that happens
1: yeah yeah and the herons love the wet weather so there's a plus going out in the rain it's just so
0: when you see one of it's like uh They're almost prehistoric I think those birds mm. there's something crazy about watching one of those they're massive as well aren't they
1: yeah immense wings really
0: good I know I have a client at the moment that I walk with them we do we do the same route sometimes we do it the other way around but we do the same route and we've decided that we are going to take a picture of the same scene for every month for a year and see what mm. happens in that scene because okay. I know it's beautiful down that bit because it really does capture the autumn as well which is pretty special up there but it's really really lovely so talking about walking with people then if you could walk with anyone anywhere where would you go and what would you ask them oh, what would I ask them
1: well wow. uh, well I I think um, it's very much on my mind at the moment because uh, partly because it's been my 50th birthday my my grandfather shared the same birthday as me I was oh. born on birthday. Uh, and he died before I was one year old, and I never knew him. But because of him, I have Irish citizenship, and I've just applied for that over the last year. Brexit survivor uh, then. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, but I mean, it's it's been so it's it, that's been the kind of the trigger. But mm. we uh, as a 50th birthday present, my brother and my dad have uh, 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 promised to take uh, to do a trip for the three of us to Ireland right. uh, together uh the three of us to visit um some of the places you know kind of a oh, mixture brilliant. of you know visiting places like Giants Causeway and some of the beautiful stuff <sighs> that's stars.
0: amazing yeah it
1: is I have been before it is mm-hmm. stunning isn't it
0: incredible
1: um and but also you know uh we, dad's still got a cousin in uh, in Belfast mm-hmm. we can go and visit so uh you know we'll do a little bit of family visiting as well and um but yeah I was I was thinking you know, wouldn't it have been nice to have been able to go for a walk in Ireland with my grandfather and, uh, and have a sense of walking with someone for whom it was home? Um, it's stunningly beautiful country. It, it, we're talking about Northern Ireland, um, but that sort of area. It is gorgeous um, over there. And um, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I think it would be, uh, that would be, uh, I'm, I've no idea what. I mean, he sounds, the more my dad talks about him more and more as he gets older, and he sounds like a nice chap, my granddad. He was a very keen gardener. I think we'd have had lots to talk about, about gardening. Um, uh, yeah, and um, oh, he also really liked Doris Day as well. <laughs> so plenty to talk about. Yeah, so, uh, and then... Yeah, I, I've mentioned my friend, Ed, who took me on my first ever walk, you know, got me hooked, and he's still one of my favourite walking companions as well. Um, and I, I think really, um, I mean, what would I ask my, my grandfather? I, I'm not sure, really. Um, I'd want to ask I'd basically want to ask him lots of open-ended questions and get him talking about what, you know, kind of the, the world, you know, kind of what was it like you know, in in the sort of be, being a child in 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 the beginning of the 20th century, you know, in kind of the different. I mean, the you know the different worlds that would be fascinating. Changed, you
0: know, yeah. Mm. Oh brilliant well thank you for that and thank you so much for talking to me it's been so interesting and I feel like I could go on a lot longer and I'm lucky because I get to see you on Zoom every week in my ukulele lesson um, so if anything else crops up <laughs> I'm sure I'll ask you that on there as well. It's kind of a ukulele
1: lesson and mini cabaret really isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is actually it is because we all have a nice chat and sit around and have a plinky plonk and no one can hear us so <laughs> it doesn't matter what we sound like. We can just hear you, which always sounds really, really good. I mean, it, it
1: occurred to me, of course, that my experience of the of, of of our on Zoom our Zoom kind of ukulele sessions is the loneliest because I'm the only one not yeah. listening to someone else play and playing along with someone else. Yeah, yeah, it is nice to play. I think
0: I've only actually done that once outside of this, even though I can't hear everybody else, but I can I can imagine what people might sound like, mm-hmm. um, and it's just brilliant i just love it i've only done it once for a long evening's worth but it was just brilliant and so i completely understand what you're saying so it's really good but Mm. i'm really enjoying them so that's great and uh i shall see you tomorrow night but for now talking about playing um you've agreed to play something on your uke on here that's still okay Yes, I'm just going to strap it on. Okay, strap that on. So, um, if you want to, when you're ready, just talk about, introduce the story behind this one, because I'm sure there is a story behind this one, because it's one of yours, definitely. Um, so, what it is and uh, and why you've picked it.
1: Yes, I'm just going okay. to reach, make sure it's
0: in tune. Okay. Because, uh, They're all uh, tuning up. We like a bit of that.
1: Real tuning up realness.
0: I always think it doesn't matter so much, and then I start playing without tuning up, and I think, no, that's really really bad. What's happening here? And then I realise because I haven't tuned it up. So uh, this one starts on the
1: on the seventh fret, so it's unforgiving. We're going very high up the neck, so uh, I think we'll be all right. There we go. Cool. Okay. So um, this is a song which I wrote. It's one of the least filthy songs in my repertoire, um, which I, I'm sure you'll be relieved to hear. <laughs> because, you know, it's very family friendly. Um, but um, I um, I had this really random email, uh, whacking, I think it was 2014. Uh, yeah, no, it would have been 2013. Uh, I'd, I'd compared a, a circus um, festival <clears throat> at the Albany in Deptford, the Albany Theatre in Deptford, and then I received this email from a French um, circus organization asking if I'd be interested in going on tour with a French circus troupe for a month and I was a bit I was a bit cagey so i I, I emailed a couple of people who worked in circus and said are these people like do you know this organization like, oh yeah they're really big league they're, they are they're reputable I was like oh okay um, and um, I wrote this song whilst kind of you know kind of chewing over whether or not to go for it and and go off and have this uh, you know w- my main concern was whether i would be up to the job rather than whether or not i should go and have the adventure but because the worry is often you know like you know am i am i just going to embarrass myself and make a complete pig's ear of this or can i do it um, and so this is the song that i wrote um, whilst thinking about that and then It ended up being about lots of other things as well as things, songs often are Um, and it feels very appropriate because it's about, well it's about sort of the fantasy of kind of, you know, travel and moving and it's not necessarily about walking but it is about going to new places and it feels like there is a connection with the theme uh, a little bit and it's also about bravery. Uh, so, so this is a song called Runaway and Join the Circus. Normally, I would invite the audience to join in.
0: Uh, when everybody's uh, listening to this, they'll be joining in.
1: <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to join in, there's a, there's a sing along chorus which goes bum, 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 bum,
2: bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. And I'll tell you
1: when to start bumming, and then I'll bring you off <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do any filth, and of course I haven't. Um, so there we are. Here we go. Uh, this is Runaway and Join the Circus.
2: Why don't I take him? you say
0: about you but I would have been happy to listen to many more of Tricity's stories thanks Tricity it was a total pleasure don't forget that you can listen to her albums on Spotify and buy her music too and I've popped all of that info into the episode description as always thank you so much for listening it really means a lot having you along for the ride and I hope you decide to like subscribe and all the other things you can do to support this podcast if you haven't already so take it easy stay well and I'll catch you next time